Let's do uh, just a little bit of Lexia Divina uh, here before this conference where uh, I'll be talking a little bit on discernment of spirits. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, as we remember that you are present with us here, we allow our minds and our hearts to be elevated to you. Please send the fire of your Holy Spirit deep within us. And Holy Spirit, please help us to praise our living God, our Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Please, uh, Jesus, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And help us to know how close you are and how deeply we're loved by you. The walk to Emmaus, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. And talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation which you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. How our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since this happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus, we humbly ask, you would fill us with a great grace 
that you would open our eyes to see who it is who walks with us. That it is you yourself who are closer to us than we realize. Please, Jesus, when uh, we fail to recognize you, send your Holy Spirit uh, to open our eyes and see that it is you yourself. Help us to recognize your voice, especially uh, in the scriptures. Open our eyes in the breaking of the bread and the Eucharist. And please send your Holy Spirit of wisdom into our hearts. And that we would know how to discern your voice in greater ways. As you speak to us in silence. Amen. Uh, so let me just ask before we begin, uh, how many people here have some familiarity with discernment of spirits? And just raise your hand if that's okay, a few people. Um, so discernment of spirits comes from St. Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, so 500 years ago, the founder of the Jesuits. And uh, if that name Jesuits has negative connotations uh, in your mind, um, there are some modern Jesuits who fall away from uh, uh, his rule. Ignatius was as solid as they come. And um, uh, just a, a really beautiful saint. And um, his early life, uh, he comes from Spain and uh, a royal family, a noble family. And um, he wanted to make a name for himself because he, even though his family was noble, he was still lower class than he wanted to be. He wanted to rise up through the ranks and achievement and glory and uh, win a, a beautiful uh, princess for his bride and marry up. And, and so he went uh, out to this battle uh, in northern Spain Against hopeless odds, it was really ridiculous. Um, I can't remember uh, how much he was outnumbered, but I believe it was the French uh, coming in to attack um, uh, one of their um, uh, allies. And so he walks in with just a few soldiers, sees that they're outmatched. His uh, soldiers say, okay, we're going to retreat. And he says, no, this is our chance for, for glory and fame. And so um, uh, they put up as valiant of a fight as they could, but were quickly overcome. Uh, Ignatius being injured seriously um, in his leg with the cannonball. And um, the French, uh, admiring his machismo and refusal to give up, um, actually sent him back to his family. Um, they respected that um, arrogance. And so uh, he goes back, and the, actually his leg was reset at the time. And when he gets back to his family's house, he, his leg is reset crooked. 
So with this arrogance, and he doesn't want his leg to be um, goofed up, he tells the doctor he wants the doctor to re-break his leg after it had healed completely. Uh, re-break his leg, and so um, he, he um, uh, can have that physical appearance um, that he wants. So he fights through that pain, no anesthesia or anything, and um, the doctor afterwards is admiring, wow, uh, you're sure tough. Um, but as Ignatius is laid up now, waiting for this to heal, he's in the upper room of his family's um, uh, castle, and he has nothing to do. And um, nothing really to read except a book of the saints and scripture. And so he spends his time, he's thinking about when he heals up his next feat of battle and how he can achieve and he can achieve and he can um, realize his dreams. And when he's bored of that, he picks up the scripture and he starts reading through the word of God and he starts reading about these saints. And in a moment of beautiful grace, he has this awareness that there's an excitement when he's thinking about himself, this excitement when he thinks about achieving these great things. But after those thoughts end, uh, he gets pulled down into this anxiety, into this fear, into this sadness, this frustration. There's not a peacefulness. It's like building a house on sand and the rains come and the storms come and everything topples over. There's nothing substantial there. Everything is shifting. Nothing stays. But he realizes as his thoughts turned from out of himself and focused on God and focused on others. It's like he's building on rock and that peace just stays with him and the joy stays with him. And so he began to discern, which means to cut away the good from the bad. He began to discern that in that peacefulness and the joy, that was God speaking to his heart, pulling him out of that caving in on self, that, that selfishness, that sinfulness, pulling him out to real relationships with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and real relationships with others. And there's a psychologist friend of mine that says, this is what a healthy person looks like. Up to God and out towards others. This is what an unhealthy person looks like caved in on self, right? I call it spiritual martial arts. Yeah. <laughs> I just do that to help you to remember. <clears throat> Up and out, right? This is the way that God is pulling us. Um, we can be so caught up with material things or with achievement and success and we can get caved in on ourselves, but there's emptiness 
there. There's loneliness there. And God wants much more for us than that. And so uh, we'll take a look at these rules that St. Ignatius uh, began to uh, come up with. And, um, yeah, just to tie it in with our theme uh, up, right? Elevate, praise, communion. And then the strength comes pouring into us to be directed out. Elevate, up. Okay, so... This, if you're interested in um, some reading material on this, this book is by Father Timothy Gallagher, Discernment of Spirits. He also has a podcast. Uh, if you uh, like to listen uh, to things more, um, Discerning Hearts podcast, which is awesome. And uh, in this book, uh, St. Ignatius has these rules. And uh, there are 14 rules, and they're just very uh, uh, short, uh, but very helpful when it comes to listening to the voice of God within us, discerning where God is speaking, um, getting out of that mind blindness, right, and into relationship. And so um, the first rule, St. Ignatius says, in persons who are going... From mortal sin to mortal sin, the enemy proposes apparent pleasures to them, leading them to imagine the sensual delights and pleasures in order to hold them in their vices, caved in on self. In these persons, the good spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, uses a contrary method of stinging and biting. So if a person is oriented and they're saying, I don't really want God. I've made the choice. I just want to go through this life on my own. And it's a fundamental choice that they make. I'm going to turn away from God. And that's their habit of life. It's not just, you know, a single occasion here or there of sin, which, which we all do. It's a fundamental orientation away from God. Um, and uh, so Jesus is here. And if I turn my back on him and I'm walking the other direction and I'm walking towards the enemy. The enemy is the one who proposes those exciting things, those Apparent pleasures. Think of St. Ignatius and all those achievements and that glory for yourself. And um, St. Ignatius is walking away from the Lord towards those things. God works in the opposite way. And the love of God never changes. God never changes. He's infinite love and mercy. But a person who's walking away from him experiences that love as a stinging and biting. I I know you're not happy living this way. It's a dead end. There's loneliness there. And a person experiences that uh, as a stinging and biting. And God does that, of course, to get a person to turn. Okay, so there's the first rule. 
Now, uh, of course, um, uh, um, all of us know our own hearts and where we are uh, in, in position with God. Um, you know, but um, uh, um, the, the important thing to remember here is that that whole orientation is away from God. It's a habitual living in mortal sin and not desiring to come back to God. Okay. So the second rule. In persons who are going on intensely purifying their sins. In rising from good to better in the service of God the Lord. The method is contrary to that of the first rule. The opposite of the first rule. For then... It's proper for the evil spirit to bite, sadden, place obstacles, disquiet with false reasons so that the person may not go forward. And it's proper to the good spirit to give courage and strength, consolations, tears, inspirations and quiet easing, taking away all obstacles so the person may go forward. So in a person who's facing our Lord and they're not perfect and they're weak and they're limited and they're sinful. But they're facing Jesus. Right. Saying, Jesus, I do want to follow you. I do want to give my life to you. They experience the enemy as biting and stinging. So this is a a huge, huge revelation in prayer for me. Because when I'm in silence, right? And when when all of us are in silence, how many times do we experience anxieties? How many times do we experience a disquiet a confusion, a doubt, fear, sadness, frustration. How many times does that happen? That voice is not God's. It's not God speaking to you. It's the enemy trying to get you to shift your attention off our Lord and to focus on other things. That voice is not God's voice. And so when we're in silence and our thoughts have elevated. And we remember, God, you are present here and I, I praise you. And because I remember your cross, I remember what you've done for me and I want to be in communion with you. And something hits us. And it's anxiety. It's not God. It's a distraction. What we're looking for in that moment is a sense of peacefulness and a sense of joy. Um, And um, it's giving ourselves permission in that moment to let go of whatever thought is leading us down that road of anxiety and fear and sadness. God is not there. You don't have to figure that out. To let go. 
And just to come back and ask yourself, what is it that's bringing peace? What is it that's bringing joy? Where is God speaking? That's why that gratitude can be such a powerful thing. Uh, Jesus, what was the thing that I loved the most today? Why was it that I loved that? And why was it that I loved that? We start getting into the heart the way that our Lord is speaking to us. And we can be there uh, with him. Now, it's my experience uh, that oftentimes those anxieties, those fears, those sadness can be really strong. And oftentimes, I mean, sometimes with gratitude, like I mentioned, it's a light switch. And as soon as we shift onto the things that are bringing peace and joy and love, and we've united those to Jesus, we can be in communion with him and just relating, and we're there. And those other things just fall away. And sometimes they don't. And that's okay. It's learning how to relate those to Jesus as well. In that prayer of honesty. Seeing yourself as a little child. Running into the arms of Jesus. And it's okay to throw temper tantrums. In the arms of Jesus. You're a little child. Jesus honestly. I'm so upset right now. That's okay. Um, Picture. You know a little three year old. With a great heart who you love dearly running to you and they're so upset about something, right? I colored out of the lines again. You know, the world is ending. I went out of the lines, right? And you scoop them up and you love them and you have a smile on your face because they're coming to you and then you can help. We were never meant to figure those things out on our own. Never. Always, always, always with Jesus. The good, gratitude, the bad, honesty. The cure is always the same with Jesus in the arms of Jesus. And that's why it's it's so important for us to carve out that time in silence. It's so important for us to have um, uh, a time in silence, say, um, starting small, 15 minutes a day. It's so important to have that. If we don't have that, we're fighting to go through life on our own. And we get rocked because we're just little children. There's no way that we can confront the enemy on our own. But in the presence of Jesus, the enemy is nothing. Scripture says a piece of wax turned into a raging fire. Always with Jesus. Um, So, if I'm oriented to Jesus, Jesus is speaking um, by giving me strength. Peace, joy, consolations, an increase of faith, um, uh, inspirations, easing, taking away obstacles, 
and the enemy is doing the opposite. Okay. And so in Consolations, uh, St. Ignatius says, here's his third, third rule. I call it consolation when some interior movement is caused in the soul through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its creator and Lord. And consequently, when it can love no created thing on the face of the earth in itself, but only in the creator of them all. Likewise, when it sheds tears that move to love of its Lord, whether out of sorrow for one's sins or for the passion of Christ our Lord, or because of other things directly ordered to his service and praise. Finally, I call it consolation every increase of hope and faith and love and all interior joy that calls and attracts to heavenly things and to the salvation of one soul, quieting it and giving it peace in its creator and Lord. And there are times in the spiritual life when we're taking that time in silence in that communion with our Lord where we experience those consolations. And when those things come, uh, just allow yourself to rest. A little child in the arms uh, of Jesus, just allowing yourself to rest with him in those. And let that be the compass of your life. Let that be the thing that orients um, the decisions that you make. If something comes with that sense of peace and that sense of joy, make all your decisions based on that because that's the voice of the Holy Spirit within you. I remember the scripture verse, right? Um, uh, In times of consolation, uh, oftentimes we forget to be grateful. I mentioned a thousand people have come to me, one in consolation, right? That scripture verse, there were 10 lepers. How many of them came back to say thank you to Jesus when they were healed? One. In consolation, it's so important for us to still continue spending that 15 minutes in silence Telling Jesus, thank you. That's so important. Consolations from God, it's meant to lead us closer to him. But if we forget to be grateful, those consolations can actually, uh, we we can uh, use them to say, uh, well, maybe it's okay to stop praying now because things are going so well. Uh, I I think... um, It's my experience when a person uh, uh, is just faithful to our Lord and asks for that strength of gratitude, that grace of gratitude. Uh, When that happens, even in the storms of life, they're able to just keep that sense of peace and the joy, the consolations stay much longer because they're doing what they're meant to do, leading us into that relationship with Jesus. And so let me um, read the rule here about desolation and explain uh, this briefly. The fourth rule 
is of spiritual desolation. I call desolation all the contrary of the third rule, all the contrary of consolation. Darkness of soul. Disturbance in it. Movement to low and earthly things. A caving in on self. Disquiet from various agitations and temptations. Finding oneself totally slothful, tepid, sad, as if separated from one's creator and Lord. For just as consolation is contrary to desolation, in the same way the thoughts that come from consolation are contrary to the thoughts that come from desolation. Okay, so desolation, that experience of the enemy speaking to us and pulling us down. It's important to know that desolation is never from Jesus. Jesus never causes desolation. When a being of perfect peace and perfect goodness and perfect love and perfect mercy moves through a person who's moving towards him, the fruits of that are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We experience joy and peace. When a being of darkness and selfishness and anxiety and fear and sadness, which the devil and demons are, when they move through us, the fruits of that are anxiety, fear, sadness, frustration. Jesus says, you will know a tree by its fruits. Um, so I think it's, um, it's helpful you know, to realize that God doesn't cause the desolations. That not, that's not his voice. He does allow them, obviously. He does allow desolations. Now, why is that? Uh, sometimes a person has started this life and, and they're living very close uh, to Jesus or they're taking those next steps in their spiritual life and then they begin to drift away from our Lord. You know, losing that fire, losing that zeal, getting caught up into the material things in life, getting caught up into those achievements. And our, our Lord, um, he, he can allow us to feel that distance that's forming. So desolation produces this wisdom. And it's because Jesus is calling us back to be in union with him, to be close to him. So Jesus allows desolation sometimes for wisdom. Uh, sometimes Jesus allows desolation for humility. Desolation is rough. It's the, it's the worst experience. And in that, we realize how radically weak we are, how radically limited. And then, okay, in that time of consolation, I was becoming prideful. I was becoming self-reliant. Uh, I wasn't taking time in prayer. I wasn't going to Jesus. And now that the storm has come and everything's collapsed, Oh my goodness, I need Jesus. 
calls us back to him. Uh, um, allowing us to see how weak we are. Allowing us to see that limitation. Um, um, all for the sake of becoming more dependent on him like a little child. And the third reason Ignatius says that God allows desolation is for love. And so uh, maybe a, a person has decided to take those steps in their spiritual life and they say, um, I, I do want to go all in and I really want to live this out. And they've started small, but they've started faithful. Let's say 15 minutes in silence every day in prayer. Um, and um, they're being faithful to that and they're really growing. And all of a sudden, desolation hits. And St. Ignatius says it's like these two soldiers who are fighting, and they're both on the front lines of this war. And word comes down from the top their pay is cut. And oh man, that's painful uh, to them. They needed that pay. They needed that pay to take care of their families. They needed that pay for, you know, all of these different things. It's painful for both of them. And the one says, we're not getting paid for this. I'm out. I'm gone. No, thank you. It looked good on paper, but obviously this doesn't work. Right? And the other one, he thinks about it. And he says, this hurts, but I'm not in this for the pay. I'm in this for the one that I serve. That's love. Willing the good of someone else, even in the midst of our suffering. That's love. St. Thomas Aquinas says, willing the good of the other. Love. And if we're being faithful to Jesus and that consolation is taken away and we feel desolation and we stay. Jesus, I'm going to be faithful to you because you have been so faithful to me. I remember your cross. I remember your wounds. I remember the way that you pour your life out for me. I remember all of these things that I've been learning to be more and more grateful for. Jesus, I'm staying. A person's heart begins to stretch. And they become more and more loving. And it's then that our Lord can really begin to work in their heart. And when that consolation comes, it can be a flood of light. And a greater union um, that only happens through love. And so uh, there's much more uh, on discernment of spirits, but I just wanted to uh, give you those basic, um, uh, basic guidelines. And um, we just ask our Lord to really send his Holy Spirit uh, deep within us and give us a greater awareness that as we elevate, as we praise, as we desire that greater union, and that he helps us to recognize his voice. Uh, sheep recognizes the voice of their shepherd. And that Jesus speak to us, speaks to us in peace.